0: Sheep of his pasture. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray you would draw near to us this day, and in your drawing near to us, may we then draw near to you. Let your word abide with us till it has worked in us your holy will. Quicken and refresh our hearts, renew and increase our strength, so that we may grow into your likeness and by our worship be enabled better to serve you in our daily life. In the Spirit of Jesus Christ our Lord, and in his name we pray. Amen. Our first hymn is number 105. Oh God,
1: we praise thee.
2: In the light
0: of God's love made known to us and, and uh, revealed to us in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his great love for, our, for us that issues into our salvation, we're made aware also of our need to confess our sin. We need to be saved because we're sinners. And so we seek God's forgiveness and his empowering grace. And every Lord's Day as we assemble, we do pray together this prayer of confession because we don't want to forget that our God is a merciful God, a God who forgives us of our sin, and our sin has been this this reality in our world and our lives that has to be overcome for us to be reunited with God. And so we confess our sin and then hear the uh, forgiveness, the assurance of forgiveness. But let us pray together in humility and faith and confess our sin. O Lord God, eternal and almighty Father, We confess and acknowledge before your holy majesty that we poor sinners were conceived and born in iniquity and corruption, prone to do evil, and that in our depravity we have transgressed your holy commandments over and over again. Nevertheless, O Lord, we are sorry that we have offended you, and we deplore our sins with true repentance. Asking for your grace to relieve our distress. Have mercy on us, our Father, in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you blot out our sins, strengthen and increase in us day by day the grace of your Holy Spirit, that as we acknowledge our unrighteousness, we may be moved by that sorrow which brings forth true repentance in us, putting to death all our sins and producing in us the fruits of righteousness and innocence which are pleasing to you through Jesus Christ our Lord amen please stand for the assurance of pardon people of God hear the good news we have an advocate one who stands beside us so that we might stand in before the almighty and holy God our father and that one who is our advocate is Jesus Christ the righteous one he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins Brothers and sisters in the Lord, I declare to you that all those who have faith in him and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. We rejoice in this good news. We say together, praise be to God. Followers of Jesus Christ, our Lord said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then his apostles said, set your mind on things above Now this doesn't mean we are to disregard the things on earth, and unfortunately, some forms of Christianity, some traditions of Christianity, have have really uh, turned and and tried to live a life that just divorces itself from the world society in which we live. It cannot be done, but it has sometimes been sort of the attitude of Christians, and that is not what we're being called to do. Um, If you'll take just a moment to think about how the apostles and the church went out into the societies of this world. And we're very heavily engaged in them to proclaim the gospel and also to live and to work and um, bear witness to Christ. So we are to not disregard the things of the earth. We are to love our neighbors, work for the improvement of common life with unbelievers here on earth. And yes, we can sometimes work with unbelievers. However, we do live in a culture that seeks after pleasure first. That's the kind of culture we're in. People today chase after the stimulation of their senses, and they don't seem to have this uh, greater desire, uh, a desire for greater things. Much of this is fueled by boredom, lack of meaning, a loss of what transcends our life. Well, there is beauty, there is virtue, there is the greater good for society, there is, of course, God uh, above it all, but our culture keeps its head down and does not look up. Furthermore, our affluent society has the resources to seek after pleasure in many forms. And so, when it gets tired of one kind of pleasure, it tries to find another. Pleasures for the body, pleasures that stimulate our adrenaline and excitement, pleasures that give us a high. Seeking pleasure has become so ingrained in our society that there are even laws that have been enacted to smooth the way for us to get that pleasure. Well, Jesus Christ has come to us, and he's raised our hearts and minds to the things above. We've actually been lifted up, our hearts are lifted up on high by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus Christ, to look to those things that are of lasting value, of greater value, that are not just going to be transient and pass away. The pleasures we may seek last for a moment, the kinds that we seek in this life, and they don't satisfy, but the things of God do satisfy our hungry souls, and they give peace to our troubled minds, and they become this wonderful well without any depth to them that just continues to feed our soul, our mind, our lives, so that we, have, we find a satisfaction for ourselves in God. So, pursue the things that are above, more than the pleasures of this earth, and most of all, pursue our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our greatest good. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 586, Take My Life and Let It Be.
3: created Lord, to Thee, take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. My hands and them
0: Let us pray our prayer of intercession for those in need. We thank you, O Heavenly Father, that you've brought light to those who sat in darkness, that you bring down the proud, lift up the lowly. You have remembered all of us, even those who are not famous in this world and those who are weak. With the birth of Jesus Christ, you've lifted us up into the new life of your salvation. And now you've made us the family of Jesus Christ to whom you've given the glorious gospel from heaven to proclaim, and the rich food of your kingdom to eat, positions of royal service, as we bear witness to Christ and the high privilege to bring our petitions to you, Almighty God. And we know you hear them as we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. By the spirit of holiness, we humbly make our our requests. Merciful God, as you have not neglected your creatures, but you've given dens for the badgers, crevices for the swallows, wisdom to humanity to build good community and cultures, we pray you would provide shelter for those who have no place to go. We pray you would bring them aid with your church in the kindness of our cities so that they might have warm clothes, nutritious meals, medical care, and compassion. Here are our prayers for those who must um, be in cold places and who are hungry this day. For the lonely, we pray, for those who feel forgotten, those who sense there is more to life than the pleasures of this world, because Jesus Christ came not just to be born, but to live among us in this sinful world in order to, to, to deliver the lost and the forsaken. We pray for those who come to mind and who do not know the way to you. May your church help restore hu- human community in this world, but most of all, to direct and point people to Jesus Christ. Here are our prayers for those who are lonely or we know feel forgotten in this world. We pray for those who govern our nation we ask you would increase the virtues of honesty and truth and fairness and intelligence and love and of peace and humility. And this we ask for Joe Biden, our president for our senators, Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow for our representatives, as well as for Mike Johnson and all the members of Congress for Gretchen Whitmer and our state legislature. We pray that political bullying and animosity would stop and our politicians would be able to work together for the greater good. Here are our prayers for those who rule over us. Blessed Father, remember your church and each one of us in all of our circumstances. Give us your grace to be full of faith and love and hope at all times. For our members who are husbands and wives, we pray that their love for each other might be more earnest and full. For our children, we pray that they would receive the care and guidance they need to develop Christian hearts and minds. For our students who are at home or away at college, we pray for wise decisions and that they would not depart from your paths of faith and righteousness. May they always faithfully attend Christian worship. And for those in our church who are single, we pray that they would have friendship among their brothers and sisters here in Christ. Here are our prayers for the members of the church. Heal and give aid to those who are sick or are facing difficulties right now. We bring to you the names of those who are upon our hearts, for Frida and Leah, for Shirley and Eduardo, for Jeff and Linda, Fawn and Bob, for the Carters, for the Roberts, for Tammy and her family, and for our friends, Kay and Kara, Karen, Tom, Phil, Dominique, Bob, Jane, Angie. Becky, and others we name to you in silence. May we find more opportunities to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ with those in the neighborhoods around us. Make for us a way to come into contact with and develop a friendship with those outside the church. We also pray for the prisoners in the jail and the discussion of your word there. We pray you'd bless the work that we do at the jail. We make our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, whose pure light of salvation has dawned in our world and dawned upon us, revealing your mercy and love, and who has shone upon our hearts, and in whose name we pray as he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
1: And now we pray our prayer of illumination as we prepare to hear God's word read and preached. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your word that you've condescended kind of to us to show us uh, what we are to believe and how we are to follow our Savior. We ask that you would open our uh, eyes and ears, that you would quiet our hearts to hear the gospel, and that we would become more assured and more grateful as a result of the promise that because of your love, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Our reading begins in Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters Who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior They lie down, they they cannot rise They are extinguished, quenched like a wick Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old Behold, I am doing a new thing Now it springs forth, Do do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself, that they may, might declare my praise. Our Psalter response is printed in the bulletin. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion,
2: we were like those who dream.
1: Then our mouth was filled with laughter,
2: and our shouts of joy.
1: Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for us. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like in the air. Those who sow in tears, he who goes out weeping there is a
2: seed for sowing.
1: shall come home with shouts of joy. Bring
2: his seeds with
1: him. Our epistle reading is in Philippians chapter 3, the first 11 verses. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Our Gospel reading is in Matthew chapter 13. Verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in the search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The word of the Lord.
0: The Apostle Paul speaks of his privileges in our epistle lesson from Philippians. Now, every society has its privileges, or those things that counts as privilege. Societies in Paul's day had their privileges, and every society uh, besides that one, and even in our society today, there is privilege. There are those things we consider to be privileged. For example, most of us would say the leaders of high-tech industries have privilege, and so do most politicians. Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Nikki Haley, and Gretchen Whitmer are all privileged. So are our Supreme Court justices, John Roberts and Ketanji Jackson, and all the rest of them. They have honors and status that the average person does not have. They have resumes of high-level accomplishments. They have rarefied educations. Mark Zuckerberg went to, he was at a high school in uh, New York, but he was able to, his parents moved him into Philip Exeter Academy, which is an elite private school, uh, prep school, and then he went on to Harvard. He did drop out of Harvard, but after his success with Facebook, he received honorary degrees. It's like the schools were lining up to give him honorary degrees, so he got an honorary degree from Harvard, one from Johns Hopkins, and New York Medical College. Those with high privileges also have personal protection, which most of us do not have. And we're talking about the highest privileges here. And with privilege comes great influence. Now, our society tends to judge privilege by wealth, and all of those whom I have named are in upper income brackets. Gretchen Whitmer has a net value of $2.5 million plus other assets. That's just her... her, uh, her uh, value in dollars, but she also has houses and things like that. Nikki Haley is worth $8 million. But with a little reflection, we may come to understand that most great privileges are so much more than being financially well off. And the Apostle Paul certainly did not associate his privileges with wealth. There were Jews in Paul's day who considered themselves privileged. The Apostle refers to Jewish privileges several times in his letters. This is one of them, but there are other places he talks about it, such as in the epistle to the Romans. In chapter 9 of Romans, Paul says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the sonship, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. There were These are unique things Israel had received from God. No other nation had these privileges that he mentions here. The Jews knew these were special privileges, and they held them close. For many of the Jews in Paul's day, there was a sense of superiority above all the other nations. Now, those of us who live in the United States have our privileges, and we all do. All of us who live in the United States. I know there are many who don't feel like they're privileged, but if they think about it for a minute, living in this country and the things they have here, as opposed to some other places in the world... um, we can recognize that we do have privileges here. Every one of us here in this room lives in a privileged place in a privileged time. Now, we don't all have wealth and influence, but we have an abundance of goods compared to the rest of the world, and collectively we have a enormous, an enormous global influence. People are pushing to get into our country so they too can share in our privilege. The Apostle Paul lays out his privileges right in line with his Jewish opponents. Now, of course, there's a context to what Paul says in our text. He isn't just posting a list that just sort of sits there on its own. There's a context for what he's talking about here. And he mentions that in verse 2. He warns the Philippian church with strong terms to watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Mutilating the flesh was a derogatory way of describing those who had made circumcision, the, the physical mark of circumcision, the mark of distinction for being God's privileged people. And so it, it's a, he's poking at them a little bit, Paul is. Paul lays out his privileges in the context of his experience with his Jewish antagonists. Paul presents his Jewish bona fides, if you will, his distinctions Now, what he lists was not everything he had accomplished. This isn't like a a definitive final list. Some of the things um, here are inherited. They're not just accomplishments. Things he did, they're things he inherited. He didn't do anything to inherit them. He was circumcised on the eighth day. That was primo for the Jews. That's when you were supposed to be be circumcised. He was a member of Israel by birth. And, and rather than a proselyte like um, Cornelius in Acts chapter ten, who is who is working to become a Jew, he's a proselyte seeking that. But he was a Roman; he was not a Jew by birth. Paul was a, a Jew, was born was a member of Israel by birth, and not only that, he was born into not only that he was born into one of the most famous and honored tribes of Israel, the Benjamites. And the Benjamites had produced some great kings. Of, and there was also great promise with that tribe. So all of that came just as from he, he didn't do anything to accomplish that. He inherited it. He had the privilege of race. He was born to strict Jewish parents and was raised to speak the ancestral language of Hebrew. We might assume that all the Jews back in the first century spoke Hebrew. Well, they didn't. Um, in fact, most of them, in, at least in Palestine, spoke Aramaic. And they would not have understood Hebrew very well. Um, The rabbis would have uh, known Hebrew, and they would have uh, continued to read Hebrew in Palestine. They continued to read Hebrew in the synagogues, but that doesn't mean everyone understood it. And so then it had to be translated, interpreted, and and explained. Um, He was also a full-blooded Jew, he mentions. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's full-blood. He's not partial Jew and partial something else. His own accomplishments were outstanding as far as Jewish privilege goes. He was a strict adherent to the law of God belonging to the party of the Pharisees who interpreted the law with exactness. Now, we don't consider it an outstanding achievement, but Paul proved his devotion to the law by persecuting the Christians. He relentlessly went after the church wherever he found it, Rounding up the suspects and pursuing every legal action to stop Christianity from spreading, and from a Jewish point of view, that was that was a, an amazing, that was an outstanding thing. He was showing that he is faithful to the Jewish um, nation and its faith. He was unquestionably dedicated to the purity of the Jewish faith, and so he says as to righteous, righteousness under the law, he was blameless. Now today, this list of accomplishments and privileges would not get you too far, say into college or in a job interview. I'd like to see some of you try it, like some of you there, uh, the marinos. Let's just see you go into to a job interview and mention, well, I've got some privileges like these, and you list them out there. It won't get you very far, but in Paul's day, among the Jews, what Paul had was highly esteemed. So we're having to think about a different time and different privileges in a different place, and particularly with Israel, with the Jews. And they were highly esteemed, these privileges that he mentions. Paul's not trying to make the point that he was legalistic with the law. That's not his point. Legalistic, Paul above all knew that he was the chief of sinners, as he said. He's he's not confused here. It's not the point. He's listing his accomplishments, his successes, his reasons for feeling proud. It is basically a resume. That's what we would call it today. Before he became a Christian, this was his portfolio. In his own life, there were accomplishments worthy of honor, and they were not all bad things. Many of the things he's listing here were good things. In his old life, these were accomplishments that were respectable. Paul was the kind of person many Jews wanted to emulate. They wanted to have what he had. Paul was privileged. Now, our accomplishments and privileges are reasons for confidence, and that's how they work in any society. They're reasons for confidence. They mean we count. We've done great things. Along with our accomplishments come honor and special recognition, and they make us stand out. Consequently, we can hold our head high. Our privileges make us important. That's how we think of them. For example, if you look up famous people on Wikipedia, you'll find a section Um, in that that sort of uh, biography of them that describes the important things they've done and maybe other noteworthy people to whom they're related. Our accomplishments and privileges also make us feel secure. They give us a niche in this world. I have a place. I have a reason for existence, a reason for being. Jobs we can do that no one else can do. Skills and knowledge that others desire, they're like medallions pinned to our coat. They make us important, and, we, and being important, we feel secure. So it is surprising that Paul can take all of his accomplishments and privileges and toss them aside to blow away in the wind. For Paul, they are a loss. And he says this in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I, count, I counted as loss. They are liabilities. Liabilities that he was willing to drop. They were not worth holding on to. And Paul uses a theological term to describe them. He says they are in the flesh. What he's referring to is the old way of life. The human race can accomplish many great things, and yet our life is set with boundaries that cut off our capability. We cannot do all that we want to do. There's always more that must be done. The old way of life includes death and decay and failure, endless striving forward in sin. We are hedged in, in fact, by the thorns of sin. All of our greatest accomplishments are pricked through and through with hatred and malice and arrogance and selfishness. The best that we can do is still not good enough. The privileges of being an American with a college education, a nice paying job with benefits, respected in the community, solicited for advice, being morally responsible is still part of the old way of life. And Paul lumps all of his privileges and accomplishments together in the flesh. His inherited privilege, his being a faithful Israelite, his outstanding achievements, and everything else he relegates to the flesh. And it's not that they're all bad. Many of these privileges and accomplishments are true privileges and accomplishments. Being born into the covenant people of God is a wonderful privilege. Being being an Israelite was a great privilege. Carefully observing the law of God, that, that was a good thing. Would we rather that Paul had not been devoted to the law and had lived a lawless life? These are good things. Persecuting the Christian church is not good, but the rest have some value. Nevertheless, the apostle gathers his privileges and accomplishments into one big bag and tosses them aside. It's kind of like calling a junk hauler. One of those men's uh, hunks hauling junk, something like that, and say, come and take it away. Now, why does Paul do that? Why does he do this? Well, it's because he's found something of absolutely far greater worth than what he had before. Paul had come to know Jesus Christ. Actually, it was Jesus Christ who came to Paul. But the point is that once Paul had come to know Jesus Christ, he knew he had found something far more valuable than all the privileges he had as a Jew or anything else in this world. As outstanding as all the accomplishments and privileges are that we have in this life, they are nothing compared with knowing Jesus Christ. Paul willingly abandons all of them for the sake of knowing Christ. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. The superior, surpassing, incomparable, exceeding greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus Christ uh, compared to our human privileges and accomplishments is like one of those old scales. Today they're all digital, but one of those old scales with pans on each side that weigh things and compare their weight. On one pan is a huge pile of gold, and you know gold is heavy. On the other is a feather. The lightweight feather does not even come close to the massive weight of the gold. It's like that, knowing Christ compared to our human privileges. Or it's like shining a flashlight at the sun. The brightness of the flashlight is lost in the brilliance of the sun. Paul highlights three things that he gains through Jesus Christ that are vastly greater than what he had before. And one is the righteousness of Christ. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that reconciles us to God. This righteousness is a relationship with God based on the work of Jesus Christ, not our own work. It is righteousness that does not come from the law or how good we live our life, nor does it come from whatever great things we do. The righteousness that reconciles us to God comes from Jesus Christ. But it's not just receiving merit. It's a relationship where we become God's beloved children through Jesus Christ. Because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are adopted into the family of God, and now we have all the privileges of being in God's household. The privileges of uh, of being a Christian, of, of knowing God, are not these abstract things They are very tangible. They are being in the house of God, the family of God. He's our Father, and we can come to him freely with our concerns and needs. We have an inheritance of eternal life and blessing. Our lives don't end with transience and just kind of peter out at the end here on this earth. We have an inheritance of eternal life and blessing through Jesus Christ. And as his children, he frees us from sin, and he makes us into the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. The second thing we gain from a relationship with Jesus Christ is the power of Jesus' resurrection. Paul mentions that. It's the power that raises us from the dead and into new life. So there's a bit of a contrast here. The power of the resurrection that brings us into new life and the old life of the flesh. Jesus Christ died in order to defeat the power of death and deliver us from death. One of our hymns says, Lord, by the stripes which wounded thee... From death's dread sting, thy servants free, that we may live and sing to thee, Alleluia. The power of Christ is the power that has come from God into this world. And it's not our kind of power that gets out of control or melts down or shuts off. It's not that kind of power. The power of Christ is the power that redeems a world full of sin and evil. And there is no sin, there is no evil or rulers of any kind that can shut down his power. It's the power that forgives us our sin, the power that can restore rebellious children with their father, the power of God that can make the unholy clean, the power that transforms us from idolaters and adulterers, thieves, greed, addiction, the sexual, immoral, and and all of those things. It can transform us into those who are holy and blameless, who live in harmony with each other, and are full of compassion and kindness, who are generous, patient, and joyful servants of God. That's quite a power. The power that sets injustice right. It's in Jesus Christ that we know the power of God because he is God who has come to us. So this is not a power that begins with us or our kind of power. Jesus Christ is the power of God that saves us from our sin by suffering and dying on the cross. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, overcoming our sin and the disobedience of the world. In Christ is the real power of God. And this is why knowing Christ is superior to whatever we had or have in our weak humanity. What we gain from Jesus Christ is a new life with God that death and sin cannot take away. And the third thing we gain from a relationship with Jesus Christ is that we share in his sufferings. Now, does that sound like a privilege? It doesn't sound like gain, does it? It sounds like loss. But listen to Paul's full statement in verse 10, that I may, know, that I may now share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Sharing in Jesus' sufferings is the way of the cross. It's the way of dying to our old life of sin and beginning our new life of love and service to God. We cannot keep our old life and gain the new life that Jesus gives. That is a mistake that has to be corrected through the preaching and teaching of the church for many Christians, for many people who think that they can have both, and you can't. You can't have the old life and the new life. You have to lose one to have the other. The old life must be thrown into the onto the trash pile to use Paul's words as a life that's corrupted and broken by sin. Compared to the old life old life of sin, the new life with God through Jesus Christ is infinitely more valuable. And there's I can build up all the adjectives and Paul sometimes does that you know when he speaks of the salvation of God and, and what Christ has done builds up, just piles up the adjectives. But maybe another way to do it is just the picture that we get in Revelation. In Revelation is a picture of this life as a city that basks in the light and glory of God, and there is no pain and mourning, only joy, peace, and righteousness. And in the new life of God, everyone is well-fed, and they have no need of wealth because everyone everyone walks on streets of gold and lives within walls of emeralds, sapphires, and topaz. Knowing Jesus Christ is a relationship. Knowing Jesus Christ is not just an exercise of the mind. It's not just memorizing the Shorter Catechism or the statements of Tulip. Paul is not talking about being able to give the right answers to questions about what it means to be a Christian. He's not talking about that that kind of knowledge, that kind of knowing. Now, that is not to say that these things aren't important, that we shouldn't have this kind of uh, knowledge that the mind has um, of course, we do. These are, that's important. It's an important part of what it means to love the Lord our God with all our mind and with true faith. But that's not really what the scripture reading this morning is talking about. And neither does Paul mean that knowing Christ is a feeling of internal worth and happiness, or internal warmth and happiness, which we're all big about today. Knowing Jesus Christ is to believe that Jesus, Jesus Himself is the power of God for our relationship. It's about knowing him. You can know all kinds of things about someone, but that's not the same thing as knowing him, of having that relationship with them. It's through Christ that God intervenes in this world, saves us, and restores the world. He is our Savior. And yes, you got to know what it means to be a Savior, but you got to know the Savior. You've got to have a relationship with him. It's through Christ that we receive the righteousness of God instead of the empty righteousness of the flesh. And to know Christ is to recognize who he is and commit ourselves to him. Knowing Christ is a personal knowledge. It's a knowledge of love and relationship, the kind of relationship that Israel had with God. It's the knowledge of communion. Knowing Christ, our life is now in communion with him, and we are shaped by his life. Knowing Christ is being united to him so that we share in his sufferings and resurrection, becoming like him in his death, that we may one day be like him in his resurrection. Well, our gospel lesson tells us a story about a man who is searching for something valuable in this world, something full of meaning and surpassing worth, something more valuable than collecting money or things or all the other things that he had. Something worth more than the honors our society gives. Now, many people today have all but given up thinking there's anything more valuable than the riches and luxury and power of pleasures in this world. And yet they have a yearning. As much as they may think and say they've given up, that that they just don't believe there's anything beyond what we can have in this world, they still have a yearning, a deep longing for something more. And they can't quite shut it off—that quest for something more valuable than what they have, because what they have in this world doesn't completely satisfy. It becomes dull and boring. So I read of a man who once said, "My life has been meaningless." And you might think he had lived a down-and-out kind of life—a life of of just you know basic, basic kind of uh, activities and pleasures. Actually, he had done extraordinary work in research on the genetic roots of schizophrenia. And his work was one of psychology's major findings over the past 50 years. There are all kinds of people in our world looking for something more than what they have. Now, the Apostle Paul is basically telling the story of his life about how he had all these things, but he found something far more worthwhile and valuable than what he had. And it's also the story that Jesus tells of the merchant who finds the pearl of surpassing worth and who sold everything for something that's infinitely greater. And that was Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ. Trust him and rejoice in the new life that he gives to us and tell other people what you have found because they're yearning for it even if they don't realize it. Let us pray. Grant us, O Lord, not to place our confidence in earthly things, but to love things that are heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, that we would hold fast to Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith with the creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn is number 656, Jesus' Priceless Treasure. I mm-hmm. do This is the Lord's table where we are met and nourished by the risen Lord, where we have true fellowship with one another as co-members of His one body. The church is not necessarily not visible to all of us to to us all of the time. And here on earth, we cannot know its full extent. Of course, it reaches into heaven itself with those who have gone before us. We cannot give its exact number. We don't know, and it cannot define all those who are members of the church. We can certainly be confident with those who have professed their faith and who have repented of their sins and been baptized. We can count them as belonging to Christ and in his church. But the point is that the church is not an abstract concept. It's not a platonic ideal. It has form. It always has form because Christ, church, are people. And... He even uses that, uh, the apostle uses that analogy, the body of Christ. It has form. And so we, we, we gather together in a visible way, and the church has its visibility, even if it's not the full extent of the church and it's not um, the exact same thing as the invisible church. But the invisible church has form and is visible. It does have, it does have uh, uh, that physicality to it. So as they were eating together, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We do welcome to this table all who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and are in good standing of a Christian church. You are to come to this table with a true faith in Jesus Christ, a sorrow for and willingness to turn from sin, and a determination in reliance upon God's grace to lead a godly life in peace with and love toward your brothers and sisters. Christian people, today we have been reminded that there is one thing worth more than anything else in this world, and it's not yourself, I can tell you that. And that's Jesus Christ. This day we have confessed our sins, received God's forgiveness. We've heard God's call to live in love. So as you come to the supper, I exhort you to remember the grace that is yours in him and strengthened by the sacrament, know Jesus Christ and desire him most of all. Come to this meal with joy, rejoice in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, be strengthened by his gifts, and find here the grace you need to follow where he leads. Join with me in giving thanks to God for our new life and our salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Almighty God, good Father to us all, your face is turned towards us here in this world because you have shown and revealed that in Jesus Christ your Son. Through Christ, you are turned towards us in mercy and forgiveness and grace. And so we praise you and thank you for Jesus Christ who came to rescue us from sin and death. And we thank you that your word goes out and calls us into your household to join those who have come before us and even the hosts of heaven who sing that great song that we hear in heaven, Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Father of all, we give you thanks for every gift that comes from heaven, but especially we give you thanks for Jesus Christ, who came into this dark world, this world dark with sin. He came as the light of your salvation, and with the grace with the grace of your salvation and the gospel word, He touched those who were unclean. He touched them with His grace, and He washed them, as we read in the stories in Scripture, and He touched us so that we would be made clean and right with you. We remember how the crowds came out to see your son, and yet in the end they turned on him. On the night he was betrayed, he came to table with his friends to celebrate delivering you, uh, delivering us and bringing us to you. Jesus blessed you, Father, for the food. He took bread and gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, and he also gave a cup to them and said, Do this in remembrance of me. And therefore, Father, with this bread and this cup, we celebrate the cross on which he died to set us free from sin. Defying death, he rose again, and he is alive with you to plead for us and for your whole church and to stand as the one who unites us with with you, the holy God. By your spirit uniting us with Christ, may our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a communion in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all who share this food offer ourselves to live for you and be welcomed at your feast in heaven where all creation worships you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. With one voice we offer our thanksgiving. Together we say, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup. May your souls and hearts your whole life be filled with the blessing of Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ and you may live for him. Take and eat and drink with faith. Let us pray. Holy Father, you did gather us around the table of your son so that we, with all your household, might partake of this holy food. In your kingdom, wherein the fullness of your grace is revealed, gather people of every nation and tongue to share in the eternal banquet of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our final hymns, number 442, Arise, O God.
4: Please be seated and uh, good morning to everybody. It's uh, wonderful to see so many faces. Um, uh, partly, as you know, because we are having our uh, our congregational meeting this morning and and uh, need to have a quorum. So, um, anyway, first uh, general announcements. Um, the uh, congregational meeting, of course, set for today, so please stick around for uh, for that uh, if you can, or at least for um, uh, the beginning portions of it. Uh, baby Bottle Boomerang, uh, the annual um, fundraiser for the Berkeley Care Net Center, um, is starting up today, so I believe there are some uh, plastic baby bottles if you would like to fill them um, with cash. Um, Though I'm sure, if you would like to just uh, write a check, they would probably accept that as well. You're not required to turn it in in baby bottle form. Um, the uh, Bible study continues next month. No, when's no, when's the next one? It, started. it did start, but so this
0: it's meeting this
4: week. Thursday. Oh, okay. So Thursday. Uh, all right. So it's still in as the 18th. So yes, Bible buddy is uh, Bible study is uh, is back underway on Thursdays. Um, the women's prayer meeting. Um, is uh, also on Thursday, February the 8th at uh, Danine Roberts' house. Um, and the next Friday evening prayer is on um, February the 16th at the church. Um, I think that's it for regular uh, announcements, unless anyone has anything to add.
0: I'd like to give a little update on the presbytery meeting. Um, and maybe while I'm doing this, we do need a table set up here. Somebody, a couple guys wouldn't mind bringing in. Maybe the folded table in the, in the room with the big table. There's a folded plastic table. I'm just bring it up here. That would be great. Um, but the presbytery meeting was up in Midland Friday. Um, Everett Hinnis, who I don't know if he's preached here, but he is the pastor at the church in Hillsdale, and he's the moderator. Does an excellent job. He... Um, anticipates problems <laughs> and there are always problems. Um, so he anticipated them well. he came in ready and the meeting um, went very smoothly um, and uh, I'm trying to think of anything really. We did interview a couple candidates for licensure. So in the OPC if you want if you think God's calling you to be a pastor and the church has recognized you seem to have the gifts to be a pastor, then you can come under care. The session recommends you come under care of presbytery to pursue pastoral ministry. Then you're under care for a while, and then when you've studied and, and done the work in seminary, maybe not completed it, but still done enough work, you can take uh, the exams. They have a whole bunch of different exams you take, and then you do a theology exam on the floor of the presbytery, where we get to bombard the candidate with questions um, regarding the uh, doctrine that we teach. And that's for licensure. So he's being licensed to preach to that person. And then, thank you so um, And then after that, when they get a call, then a, a person who's licensed, a man who's licensed, can then be uh, pursued ordination. And uh, get the, when, he, when he receives a call, then he's eligible for a, an examination for ordination, which is... Lots of more exams, um, and another theology exam on the floor, and um, and those go on for a couple hours, usually. And so then, um, but you cannot be examined for ordination unless you have a call. So it's not like, I want to be a pastor, nobody else seems to know that, but um, I want to be a pastor, and so I want to be ordained. You can't just be ordained just in general, you have to be ordained to a call. There are different kinds of calls: called to be an evangelist, called to be a pastor like me, called to be a teacher. Okay, and then there's the ordination for elder and deacon. So um, all of this, uh, two men were examined um, for ordination, and uh, they did a good job. And so it's always good to see men coming along, and, um, and that's just our custodians. So there are other men in other places, and that's that was a big part of what we did. And I just, I thought I'd let you know we had that meeting. The next meeting, we have three stated meetings a year. That was a stated meeting. The next one's the last Saturday, I think it is, of April. And it's going to be in Kalamazoo. Jonathan Cruz is the pastor. They just were able to swap buildings with the Church of God. Church of God was dwindling and had a huge building. He said they're still finding bathrooms in it. There are 12 bathrooms in this building, and they're still finding bathrooms. So they switched. And Kalamazoo is a church that had, had kind of gotten pretty small, and then uh, with Jonathan Cruz, it's grown and it's bursting at the seams. And so this other church came to them and said, "Hey, would you like to switch?" And they said, "Sure." And and for I think there was a you know they figured out okay uh, we need to you know kind of equal value a little bit so $300,000 they need to pay which they can do with a loan and then, then that's all the church asked for it, they're going to take the, the Kalamazoo OPC building and $300,000 and that they call it even that's, that's remarkable isn't it and it's, it's a mile away so it's still working in that part of Kalamazoo um, anyway that's where the next press treaty meeting is so just to let you know some things going on press treaty. cool
2: uh, any other
4: announcements from the floor? <laughs> uh, forgive my laughter. Caroline's hand just went up, so uh, Sorry, you do not have floor privileges yet at uh, the age of three and a half. Um, yes, Mrs. Wilson, you do have floor privileges.
1: Um, would ask that you please give with a you know prayer for former member Karen Whitey. Um, she is someone that um, was with our church in the beginning and moved to Virginia.
2: And she um, is you know in decline with Parkinson's and she's
4: having a very rough time at this point. So, I'm keep her, her too. Right, thank you, Mrs. Wilson. Any other announcements from the floor? Okay. Uh, then by tradition, um, we're going to formally start the meeting, um, the congregational meeting, and establish a quorum. Uh, we'll have our constituting prayer, and then we will, assuming the uh, the, the body is amenable to this, we'll um, suspend that meeting uh, for some fellowship time and then uh, return to it uh, a short time later. So. Um, I'm going to call this meeting to order. It is 11.30 exactly, and uh, so this meeting is officially called to order. Uh, We need to establish a quorum uh, under our bylaws, Article 6. A quorum at meetings shall consist of 51% of the voting members unless otherwise defined in uh, these bylaws. And um, so I believe my count earlier was 30. Do we have 30? Okay, so we do have a quorum, so I'm pronouncing that. And, um, Pastor, if you would like to open us with a prayer. Let's pray.
0: Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can worship you this day and hear your word and receive this, this holy food, this food set apart that you use as, uh, as means of your grace. And we pray that as we come together after this uh, wonderful time of being in worship, that we can uh, Conduct this work that we have to do as, as your body. Conduct it with wisdom that your Holy Spirit would continue to be present with us. Help us to understand the things that are discussed and decisions that have to be made. Votes would be um, well made and that we would um, just have a smooth meeting. We pray you would be with Mr. Klaus, that he would um, be moderate moderator. We ask this in Christ's
4: Amen. At Amen. Uh, this point, the chair would like to entertain a motion to uh, suspend the meeting until 11.50 for purposes of uh, refreshing ourselves. Uh, is there such a motion? Is there a second? Thank you. Uh, so it's been moved and seconded to, uh, to recess until 11.50. Uh, All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed? The eyes have it. We will resume at eleven fifty AM.